just for a quick recap of where we've been leading up to today's message. Everything's closer. Um, uh, but as you know, we've been going through the covenant, uh, our covenant. And uh, <clears throat> so here's where we are. And um, <clears throat> um, I think we all feel like there's really nothing um, mystical or magical about us having a, a church covenant. But um, what it really boils down to is just each of us saying to one another, um, hey, let's all join together and help each other to obey what our Lord commanded us to do and be as, as the body of Christ uh, for his glory. Because that's really what our covenant just is filled with statements of what we should do as believers. And we're just wanting to commit to do that together um, for his glory. So this is where we at, are at as of today. Um, in recognition of Christ's purpose for the church and having been saved by God's grace and baptized in obedience to Christ Jesus' command, we, the members of Liberty Hills Bible Church, do wholeheartedly and joyfully enter into the following covenant to gather faithfully with one another for the teaching of biblical doctrine, to gather faithfully with one another for fellowship, to gather faithfully with one another for the observance of the Lord's Supper, which we'll do this evening, to gather faithfully with one another for faithful prayer, and now today's focus, to love one another continually. Um, so that sounds pretty easy, right? Love one another continually? I mean, uh, we all kind of get along and like each other. Um, and then of course we have love is love, which is the new buzz phrase going around. Um, but really, the answer is not at all. Um, as we dive into the truth of what love really is over the next two weeks, we're going to see that no matter how much our world wants to define through the media and entertainment what love is, um, they miss the mark by, by a long shot. And in reality, what God says love is, is actually a very tall order. And we might even need to recalibrate our thinking um, <clears throat> with what God says love is. Um, actually, a lot of things that David prayed in the prayer is, is things that you know I've been praying through this um, because that's really, uh, it's just, you know, well, I'll get into it. So I'll just, <laughs> but right off the bat, okay, Jesus set the standard for, for love when he stated in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So, I mean, it wasn't like love wasn't new. I mean, love wasn't, yeah, love wasn't new in the world when Jesus said that. But here was the new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And at this point, I'm sure the disciples who were hearing this, had, they had seen Jesus' love demonstrated to them in many ways and, and to uh, other people around them that Jesus' life had touched. But they still did not really have an understanding completely of what that phrase meant because um, Jesus had not given the ultimate sacrifice that he would make for them yet, and the entire world on the cross only a day or two um, after he made the statement. But then Jesus went on to say in verse 35, by this all people know that you are my disciples. How? If you have a bumper sticker on your car. No. Um, if you have love for one another. In other words, we are most like Jesus when we love like he loved. And this will display who he is to the people around us more than any other behavior we could do. And then 
So in this just short passage uh, in, in John, there and then in John 15, 12, he says again, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then in John 15, 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. So we've got to remember the context of all of these statements um, are right before he went to the cross. Um, I don't know whether I'm just weird or not, but um, uh, I, sometimes I have thoughts of like, if I'm lying on my deathbed and the family's gathered around and I, I sit there and think, what would be the last words I'd want to tell them? And, um, and so, because you think like, you've got one last chance, you know, you might have five minutes and you want to say something really important. Well, this is kind of what people do when they know that time is imminent. And so, um, so one of the main things we know pressing on Jesus right before his death was to communicate to his followers that you and I would live lives of love towards one another. Um, that's when he said those words, and uh, uh, back then, and still today, um, obviously, um, this is tremendously important to our Lord and Savior. So how is real love, <clears throat> as God defines it, different from what we might think love is, or how the world defines love? Um, in the next two weeks, my goal is to lay out four characteristics about genuine love that sets it apart from whatever we might think love is so that we can grasp what it really means to love one another continually. And thankfully, God did not just leave us hanging with a nebulous command like, hey, y'all just need to love each other, um, to where each person would just define in their own minds what that meant and looked like, however they wanted which, by the way, is pretty much just what the world does. Um, but no, God laid it out for us, both by the demonstration of love and the life his son lived, and we have the exhortations in his word of what genuine love looks like when lived out in the life of a believer. Now, I'm going to keep using this word genuine love to try to distinguish it from just love, whatever, uh, um, people believe it is, uh, because Paul used this word in Romans 12, 9 to refer to real love, God originating love. So um, you can just turn to Romans 12, because <clears throat> that's pretty much where we'll be this week and next week. Um, and I got to admit, uh, because this was a two-week thing, I didn't know how far I'd get. We're not going to get super far, uh, but that's okay. Uh, I look forward really to next week as well. So I hope you can come back for, for next week too. But um, Romans 12, 9, okay, just the first part of it says this, let love be genuine. And that's the um, ESV translation, okay? I think it's the New American Standard that might say it like this, let love be without hypocrisy, okay? And um, so what is hypocrisy? Um, I, I say it this way, it is purposeful misrepresentation, okay? Living hypocritical life is you're trying to purposefully misrepresent something. So genuine love is not love that is purposefully misrepresenting. It's not artificial love. It's not fake love. It's not pretend love, but rather it is real, sincere, 
authentic love. So let your love be the genuine article, as the saying goes. And if there's one hallmark that should characterize followers of Jesus Christ, it's genuine love. I like how the New Living Translation actually states Romans 12, 9. It says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. And uh, actually, I don't know why, but the whole time I was having this passage here, some of you all know um, a brother in Christ named Ron Weber, and uh, the way he would preach, he would he would get to like some words, and then he would go like, really love them. You know, and I can't imitate how he would do it, but that's how I figured how he would say this. Just don't, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. And that's how I... This verse is just shouting out to me in the New Living Translation. I mean, you know how this works, right? You're around some Christian in a gathering that you really aren't very fond of, um, but you know, you're know you civilized enough um, in your Christian life to, to not let on how you really feel about them, but inside, you don't really like them. And um, you know what you're doing? You're pretending to love. And, um, and Paul says, don't pretend to love, is what he's saying. And um, <clears throat> what's interesting is, um, I got saved down in the South. I went to a school um, down in South Carolina. And um, I won't name the school because we're not doing too good in football this year. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, it, you know, it's, that's down in the Bible Belt. So, so I got saved down there. And um, when, when I started fellowshipping with some Christians down there, a lot of them were ones that grew up in, in Christian homes and whatnot. And, um, and I heard from a number of different people th this phrase, well, I don't like them, but I have to love them. And, and I, I was you know, only a Christian for like a, a few months, and I kind of read the Bible voraciously after I got saved. I just read it and read it and read it. But the Holy Spirit inside me just was like, Something is wrong with that statement, Andy. I just, um, and even in the attitude and demeanor in which it was spoken, there were red flags going up. And this is a new Christian. I didn't speak up. I didn't say like, what are you, what are you saying, brother or sister? That's, that's not right. I just kept quiet. But in my head, I thought, that can't be right. You know, well, I'm commanded to love them, but I don't have to like them. This just doesn't make sense. Um, well, the thing is, genuine love goes deeper and wider than surface actions. And, uh, and frankly, genuine love is a very tall order, okay? Um, so as we are faced with the truth of what genuine love looks like over the next two weeks, let's just come to terms with this. And this is what David prayed. And, 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 and I just thank him for praying this. Um, because over the next two weeks, we're going to look at a lot of different exhortations of what genuine love really is lived out. And my prayer is not that we just understand what God is saying um, as he prayed, but that we apply what he is saying. Um, that we make faith decisions to be doers of his word. So, for example, if we know we are pretending to love some other brothers and sisters, and all of a sudden that applies to you, you ought to say, time out. What am I going to do about this? How am I going to genuinely love this person? What do I need to change? And it probably starts with forgiveness somewhere. Probably starts with letting go of some hurt that was caused. 
probably starts with blessing them in some way and who knows what else. Um, because we are commanded to have genuine love. And so with that, I'll segue into the first characteristic of genuine love. And the first one is genuine love is supernatural. So I know with all you, I wrote this down because the groan is, oh no, you say, we're off to a horrible start. This is something that I can't generate in my own strength. Um, but hopefully you won't be surprised, and that's why we put 1 John 4 up on the screen. Um, again, we are making a distinction between genuine love and whatever distorted definition of love we might have in our own minds that we've gleaned probably from our collective experiences, how love was demonstrated to us in our upbringing, what the media and entertainment world has told us about love, um, this time of year, Hallmark movies, you know, every movie gives you some definition of love, so we're getting swayed by that. The influence of various relationships and other things. But God tells us this about love through the Apostle John. In John 4, says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. That is genuine, real, true love. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So we need to understand that genuine love originates from God. And we are only able to love him or anyone else because he first loved us, says in 1 John 4.19. So how do we do this? Do we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps? Do we apply the, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again principle? No, we rely, we depend on, we lean on, we trust in, and what's that called? Faith. We trust in and lean on the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to love God and love others with genuine love. And we know from Romans 8 that those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. And then in Galatians, Paul tells us to walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, you know, we're always amazed, seems so amazed by the Apostle Paul's life, like, wow, how could he live that way? Um, but he told us all what the secret was. He said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So he recognized that in his flesh he could not live the way God calls us to live. So he lived in faith that Christ would live through him, and we actually can do the same. Because genuine love is supernatural, there is tremendous upside when we allow ourselves to be channels of God's love to those around us. And I dare say miracles take place, and you will see God do amazing things in your life and in the life of others, and I'm sure some of you have incredible stories where you have seen this worked out, and we, I think we ought to have a testimony service where we just, um, again, because love is supernatural, genuine love. Um, when we allow God to love through us, he's gonna, he's, God's going to be there. God's going to show up. And, uh, and I think we, we ought to just have a testimony service where we um, praise God for what he did when we um, allowed his love to touch the lives of other people through us. Um, now bear with me while I try to explain from just one experience, very recent, as recent as yesterday. 
that genuine love is supernatural. <clears throat> so, in Matthew 22, a lawyer asked Jesus the question, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. One writer summed up this verse in this way. We love others best when we love God most. So, <clears throat> I don't know if this happens to any of you. Maybe afterwards you can tell me if it does because, you know, I hope that, like, I'm just not the only one that this happens to. But, um... For some, some, in some days, just for whatever reason, I just seem to wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Okay, and um, and what I mean is that I just wake up feeling very, very selfish um, and self-centered, like I have a chip on my shoulder, and um, and I don't feel like doing anything for anybody that day except what I want to do. I, I just I just wake up like not wanting to. I just want to like. I just want to do what I want to do today. Just wake up that way. Um, and I don't know, maybe I had some bad dreams that night or something. Um, but maybe I should have expected it this week, since God always seems to throw me a test on how I'm supposed to be living the very week that I'm going to be telling others how to live. Um, that happens all the time. But um, anyway, yesterday was when we were going to have our family Thanksgiving um, with all the kids. So... I knew that I would need to help Lisa get some things ready, um, but like I said, I woke up not feeling like helping anybody for anything. And first thing, at, you know, as soon as we get up, Lisa starts asking me to do some things, and I just felt like I had this chip on my shoulder. Well, God kept bringing to my mind part of a verse, okay, because, you know, I've been thinking about this message and all, but this verse wasn't in it. And it, it just was love at all times, love at all times. And I was like, is that really in the Bible or is that verse? I think that, is there a verse? Because I think, if that is a verse, then I'd like to share it. Um, well, it's really a friend loves at all times. Okay, and it's in Proverbs 17, 17. So I thought, well, Lisa's my friend, so I have to love her at all times. But even if she wasn't, Jesus said, I needed to love just as he loved me. And he never takes a day off. In fact, he never takes an hour off, or a minute off, for that matter, to love me. So I prayed a quick prayer, asking God for strength and the power of the Holy Spirit to enable me to love as I ought to, and then I pushed through the I don't want to feelings in faith to obey the Lord. Now, it didn't take long, probably less than 30 minutes, or even less, for my feelings to catch up with my obedience and I was filled with joy and had a great day. And I, um, I think we all know that God's commands are not based on feelings and that obedience is an act of faith. It's a decision of faith. And like in this case, from my experience, God blesses those acts of feeling, faith with feelings of joy that follow. Um, and last night I went to bed earlier than Lisa and she texted me this, I love you, rest well, thank you for all your help today. So she felt blessed by my actions, but it could have turned out differently. And um, FYI, in all transparency, I don't always walk in faith, okay? 
And I do have stories where days have turned out differently with me being grumpy all day, helping out because I knew I needed to, um, but wanting to do my own thing all day long. And, uh, and that bad attitude just showed up through the whole day, all right? And um, trust me, the text would not have had the same words at the end of the day. Um, but the truth would have been spoken nonetheless, thankfully, because God gave me a wife who will not let me settle for less than what God wants. So um, that's always helpful, even if I don't want to hear it. But back to this phrase, we love others best when we love God most. The reason we will love others best when we love God most is that if God is not the primary love of our life, our tendency will be to love ourselves more. Um, and when that happens, love becomes distorted and diseased and ends up devolving, I'd say, into whatever we wish for it to mean. And, and that's how we in the world end up in a state like Paul describes in 2 Timothy 3. Lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And, and the list goes on there in 2 Timothy 3. I mean, it's, um, that, that's just the, the end result of that. So one might argue, but if I love myself more, then loving my neighbor as myself should go great. Um, but that's a total deception of the devil. And um, the loving your neighbor as yourself part might get off to a great start. But after a while, your flesh will come along to a point of burnout, and you will tend to feel threatened and overwhelmed and start to think, oh my, if I continue to give and give and give, then my desire for happiness is going to always be preempted by my neighbor's happiness. And my neighbor will always have priority on my time and energy. Um, and let me just explain a, a real life example. Um, before my mom moved up here, she lives with us now, um, she would tell constant stories of retirees in her retirement community down in Florida. There were um, f friends of hers that lived down there who were just bitter at their children or grandchildren because they had given so much of themselves and their resources to their children and grandchildren and not received in return what they expected or have, would have liked to receive. Um, so, in essence, they were trying to love their children and grandchildren as themselves, but they were wanting something in return and they weren't getting it, and so they, um, it backfired on them and, and they got bitter. The problem is not that folks are trying to live out the second commandment or the golden rule. The problem is that they fail to live out the first commandment to love God first and fail to recognize that the first commandment to love God with our whole selves is the basis of the second commandment because God intended the second commandment to be a visible expression of the first commandment. So it's kind of how faith and works go together. Faith without works is dead. Um, and God is so wise though because he understands that we needed the first commandment to love him with our whole selves to even have half a chance of making the second commandment doable and to take away the threat that the second commandment is a suicide of our own happiness. Um, if, if, if we are not loving him, then that second commandment will become a threat, okay? Um, but when we are loving God with our whole selves, he doesn't cancel out your self-love. 
He transforms it and fulfills it to where we can truly demonstrate genuine, supernatural, God-originated love to our neighbors. When we are loving God first and foremost, He changes the way we love others in a way that has a God impact in people's lives. Um, for example, because God has blessed you, which of course is something you desire, have you not had desires to bless others? Um, because God has comforted you in, in times of hardship, which is something that of course you desire, have you not had desires to comfort others in their hardship? When we love God first, God transforms, transforms our self-love into God-love and the supernatural love of God, which longs to extend to loving others, will be demonstrated through us. So for the rest of just today and next week, we're going to just be here in Romans 12 as we talk about genuine love. And I think it is appropriate that Paul begins chapter 12 with an appeal for us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice because genuine love is supernatural. Um, and all the exhortations that Paul is going to give to live a life of genuine love are countercultural. Uh, they are otherworldly, uh, you know, not, not of this world. Uh, they require the working of God in our lives to, to, to live them out. So um, let's just start here in, in, in verse 1, which you all are familiar with, but I just want to give a little bit of explanation of verse 1 and 2 here. Um, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, the ESV calls it our spiritual worship, but some translations say reasonable or logical worship. Um, it actually is a word like logicos or something like that. It's, it's where we get our word logic from. Um, in other words, here's what Paul is saying. When he says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God, and that word appeal is, is actually a passionate word, um, it really has the idea of begging them. I think the King James says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. It's, it's, it's really, he's begging them. Um, what he's saying is, in light of all that God has done, that Paul has already talked about in the previous chapters 1 through 11, when a person understands the enormity of what God has done in saving us, the lengths to which God went, the magnitude of God's love, um, just the, the abundance of His grace, um, all that He's done for, for, for me, then the only logical response to understanding the grace of God is to say, God, you've done all that for me. The least that I can do is give all of me to you. Um, that becomes the foundation for giving our bodies as a living sacrifice. And honestly, when we say to God, not outright, I mean, I, I know that we typically don't say this outright, but maybe in practice, um, we say it just by our behavior, God, you can have three-fifths of me. Um, or I can only share you on Sundays and Wednesdays. Paul is saying, that's illogical. That, that's not logical to only give him a part of you. It, it's, it, the only logical conclusion is to give all of yourself to him based on all of these things. And he's begging us to understand that that's the only logical conclusion. 
So as we present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, it launches into serving God in a whole new different way from serving in our own strength. Now Paul goes on to say in verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word transformed in the original is the word metamorpho, from which we get metamorphosis. And um, you know, you guys have heard this in science class, how a tadpole gets to a frog, it's how a caterpillar gets to a butterfly. You know, we use the word metamorphosis. Now in our case, the idea is for God to transform us so that the glory of what God has placed on the inside, the Holy Spirit, will shine on the outside. Do you realize that anytime we are loving others the way that God loves others, we are allowing the Spirit of God to radiate His love through us? And we can't ignore that the transformation has to do with the renewing of our minds. Um, and he doesn't say this here, um, but it's, it, it's, it's implied that that happens as we know the truth, okay? I mean, we need to be renewing our minds with the truth. And... Um, uh, we, you know, believe the truth to be what we have here in the Word of God. Um, but like in the story I shared about what happened to me yesterday, the transformation happened as God brought to my mind the truth about genuine love that I needed to love at all times. I mean, it was it was the truth of God that renewed my mind and transformed me. The Holy Spirit was able to bring that truth to my mind, though because I had read it or was taught it at some point. Um, so that truth had been intaken into my life at some point. And um, my point is that we need to have an intake of the truth that is God's word into our lives for the transformation that Paul is talking about to take place. Okay, so if, if, I, if I become a Christian and I never intake any of God's truth, then this metamorphosis is not going to take place. I mean, it's uh, unless, I mean, I, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit, okay, can't speak to me without, you know, uh, I mean, the Holy Spirit can, God can speak truth to me, uh, but it, he normally, he's the living word, okay? So, but, you know, from my experience, he speaks to me from, the living word that you know has been intaken into my life. Um, now, um, like if yesterday my mind was transformed with a worldly falsehood about love, let's just say I didn't know any of God's truth about love. If yesterday my mind was transformed with a worldly falsehood about love, for example, one that I received from the guys around the water cooler at the office, uh, which would be like this. Hey, buddy, help your wife out today so that you can use that as collateral to tell her that you're going golfing all day tomorrow. Um, then that is not the transformation of the mind that Paul is talking about. Okay? That would not be transforming my mind with the truth. Okay? Um, but maybe that is why the verse goes on to say that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, because... As Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things. So be transformed by the renewal of your minds with the truth of God's word. Now, <clears throat> we're going to skip over verses 3 through 8 and jump down to verse 9. Uh, but I'm just going to say a couple things as 
kind of like a little trailer uh, before Eric's message on gifts. Uh, so we're looking forward to that because um, after we talk about love one another and encourage one another, um, Eric's going to talk about discerning, developing, and deploying our spiritual gifts. But um, <clears throat> I just think, you know, if as students of the Bible, it's kind of neat here what, what God did in Romans 12. So he, he talks about gifts and then he talks about love. And then 1 Corinthians, he talks about gifts, he talks about love. And um, so Paul talks about, um, you know, they're, they're kind of laid out similar. Um, but what happens is Paul talks about spiritual gifts. I mean, verse 2 here, he talks about how we need to think and our minds need to be renewed with the truth. And then that flows into verses 3 through 8. And I don't know if Eric's going to use this as his text or First Corinthians or, or something completely different. But... Um, uh, Really, in this text, what, what, what it goes on to say is he talks about how you need to think differently about yourself, and then how you need to think differently about others, and think differently about the church, the body of Christ. Um, and we understand that the church is a body, and we're all a part of it, and as a part of the body, we have a part to play in the body. And if we don't play that part, then we're actually contributing to the illness or the weakness of the body. And, I, you know, have you ever thought of it that way? Um, and, I, and I trust that Eric can kind of make these points when he, when he talks about the gifts. But um, if you're not contributing your part to the body, then you are making the body weaker than God designed and intended it to be. You know, it's like if a part of your body woke up this morning, you woke up and your one of your parts of your body said, I'm out, you know, um, don't want to do it today. Um, that's called sickness, you know. Um, so... When we have the mind of Christ, we understand our role, and um, we understand that it's not about me, and we understand that God's given us gifts to use, primarily to glorify Him, second to build others up, and strengthen the church, because we have a role to play. So that's just a little trailer um, uh, to wet your whistle for um, Eric's message. Um, but I just kind of wanted to fill that gap between three through eight, before we get to verse 9. Okay, so now we're back to verse 9. <clears throat> Let love be genuine. So at the beginning I said I was going to break things down into four characteristics of genuine love, and the first one was that genuine love is supernatural. Well, the second characteristic is this. Genuine love exhibits passion. Um, it's not passive. It's not just an emotion that you feel. It can be, but that's not all it is. But love is active, and we will see this as we look at uh, a few verses. Actually, we're, we're, we're not really going to get past verse 9. Okay, so, um, but, uh, but there's going to be a few more verses that, that go under this characteristic. But uh, So right after let love be genuine is we have abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And... Um, I mean, it's very interesting that Paul would say, don't pretend to love, but really love. And then he would then say this, I would venture to say that not one of us would put this first, but God does. And I've been meditating on this and thinking about it, and I've, I totally conjecture maybe on my point, but I've got a reason that I'll share why I think Paul does this. Um, uh, but first of all, about what this is, 
you know, is saying here, abhor or hate what is evil. In other words, when you really love God, you don't want anything to do with what's evil. You don't want anything to do with what dishonors God. And, um, and what's interesting is, um, I'm going to try to bring this out, but a lot of the, the verses here at the end of chapter 12, they, they parallel a lot of the verses about love in 1 Corinthians. And um, so this, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, it, it's, it sounds very similar to um, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that says, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Um, but both of these verbs, abhor and hold fast, they're intense words. And abhor means to hate exceedingly. And um, I mean, this is like a passion where you can't tolerate evil in you or in people around you because it is so unlike God, you know, who, who is just absolutely pure. Um, so you think, like, how are we supposed to live? Um, well, we need to hate what evil does to us, and we need to hate what evil does to other people to where, um, this is where I'm getting at. I'm not going to go down the path. I mean, I, I could go down this path, but I, I didn't go down this path where, you know, you talk about um, what kind of choices we should make in life regarding hating evil and, and loving good. But I, I'm going down a different path here, okay? You could go down both paths, but I don't know. Maybe I think about it this week and come back and, and go down this other path as well. But, but this is what I'm trying to say. Because it kind of goes even with the communion theme tonight of what drove God to take action because he hates evil so bad and what it does to people. Okay, so, so this is abhorring evil, to hate exceedingly what it does to us, and we need to hate evil, what evil does to other people. To where, one, it should drive us, to where our mouths don't just sing, Lord, I need you, oh, I need you every hour, I need you. But our lives are truly, fully dependent on the grace and mercies of God. That's what hating evil exceedingly and what it does to our lives, it should do. And then two, hating evil and what it does to other people, this should drive us to seeing everyone around us, not with contempt and judgmentalism, um, but with a deep, deep loving compassion to see them set free with the truth of the gospel. And as I got to thinking about this more, like I said, maybe this is conjecture, but the fact that abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, is put directly behind let love be genuine kind of makes sense in this sense. In the Sermon on the Mount, right, the first beatitude Jesus states is, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Um, in other words, the first step to even receiving God's love is people need to see and come to terms with their real spiritual condition that they are just spiritually poor. They are destitute, which is wretchedness. And Jesus said the one who is forgiven much loves much. Well, the one who truly understands their spiritual condition and the wickedness in their hearts truly appreciates God's forgiveness and sees their need for him every day more clearly than those who don't. And also, those who have this understanding, I think, tend to have more compassion on others as they understand the impact that evil has on a person. So the first aspect that I wanted to point out of genuine love is that hatred of evil 
will drive the actions of dependence on God for ourselves and compassion, mercy, and grace towards our brothers and sisters, not judgment. And then for those outside the family of God, it should drive the motivation of seeing the lost as prisoners in chains that need the key of the gospel to be set free. And then it goes on to say, hold fast to what is good, which literally, that word is like, be glued to what is good. Um, Good in the Greek here is good in quality, inherently good, or truly good. In light of the context of abhorring what is evil and holding fast to what is good, personally, this would look like this. Personally, you are living a life of avoiding evil and you are holding fast to what is generally good. So you th think of the things that are mentioned there in Philippians 4, 8. Things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. Now, are you having a longing desire for good things in others' lives. In other words, as hating what evil does to you and other people drives you to a dependence on God and a compassion for other people, on the flip side, let a longing for good in yours and others' lives drive you to pray earnestly for others. Um, and I'll try to explain it like in this example, okay? Um, I know many of you have demonstrated um, or are in the midst of demonstrating that genuine love to where you hate to see how evil and the evil one might be getting the best of a friend or family member. And as you strive to hold fast to what is good and you experience the blessings from it, you long for that friend or family member to hold fast to that good with you. Well, then let genuine love give us perseverance to continue doing good and to not grow weary in prayer for our brothers and sisters and for those still not in the family of God. So let that hatred of what the evil that you know um, can be doing to them and the evil one and then the longing for the good that you want them to experience in their life just drive you that genuine love to drive you to just keep praying for them and persevere in, in not growing weary and doing good. Um, if that makes sense, I hope. I'm going to stop here for today and we'll pick it up starting in verse 10 next week. So um, I'm going to close in prayer. <clears throat> oh, and actually with the ushers come forward and um, uh, I'm going to pray and then Angela's going to play some piano and I'll say a few more words while they're handing out the elements. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, um, you are just our example for Jesus of, of taking that initiative um, of says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, oh death, where is your sting? Well, you, you took out the sting. You took out the stinger the evil one had. Um, you demonstrated your hatred of evil. It was wreaking havoc on my life. It was wreaking havoc on people's lives in this room who you rescued. God, but it motivated you to take action. 
And God, we're so thankful that you did. Um, and God, may we be motivated to to demonstrate genuine love to those around us um, uh, that are uh, the evil one still has in their in his grips, and, and pray that you would release them and and um, just go to battle on behalf of them, God, for um, to to rescue them ones that we can think of, friends and family members, God. And, um, Father, I just pray that, uh, uh, really, that you would, we would just, you would bring to our minds, God, this, um, that uh, love originates with you, God. Love is from God. And we need we need uh, we need your power, God, to to demonstrate that love to one another. I mean, to where God, we we would just want to see you, um, just your love would be flowing. Your love would be flowing. I mean, your love your, your love would be flowing through our lives, God, in a way that it would just be touching lives all around us, God. That's that's what we want to see. God, that's what we want to experience, Lord. Not, not what we think of as love, uh, limited love, love with conditions, love with wrong motives, um, anything like that, God. I mean, we, we can go through the day and think that we're loving all day long, and maybe it's not even genuine love at all. Um, so, God, I just pray that you would... You'd help us, you'd speak to us, you know, even from uh, throughout this week, from today's message and, and what you'd have to say to us, and then um, through next week's message, God, just speak to us what you, what you want to communicate to us, God, and pray this in Jesus' name.